Hello and welcome to C3 Newcastle City Podcast. It is our honour to host you and trust you will enjoy this message as much as we did. For more information about C3 Newcastle City or to connect with us, visit our website, www.c3nc.com. Because I think that's how Jesus rolled too. And I think as that picture shows, this series that we're in, your Bible probably titles it the Sermon of the Mount. And it was a bunch of people, and if I had time and the energy, I'd get you all to kind of gather in around as if you came to listen specifically to me, which I know is not necessarily the case. Um, but that's what I want you to put your mindset in today. I want you to hear for you and your life now, but also I think the passage is so much richer if we try to understand what it felt like to be the original hearers. What did it feel like to hear and know about this Jesus who, and remember Jesus, the name Jesus that we revere and we sing and this, you know, we honour, really his name could have been Terry because back then everyone kind of, Jesus was a common name, right? So it wasn't like for them, they're like, Jesus, that's the Messiah. They had to work that out. We get that now. So he'd been around for a while and Ryan beautifully opened the series last week um, and Today will be even so much richer if you were here last week. No judgment if you weren't, but just there there was a lot about what Ryan unpacked that kind of I um, move on from, I guess. Um, But part of what he helped us to understand last week is what it felt like to be those original hearers, these people who were in a wilderness in a sense. They'd heard all these stories in the Old Testament about who God was and who he wanted his people to be, and they had no experience of that because they hadn't heard from God for 400-odd years. It had been dark and quiet, and, you know, God promised this kingdom, and there was nothing like that. They were not living in anything that resembled what the Old Testament stories had said they would. And so they're waiting for this awesome kingdom to come that they're going to be a part of, and they're going to be this special gang of people, and God's got this special blessing for them. And they're waiting for this Messiah to come. And then this weird guy, Terry, Jesus, comes along. And he's doing, by now, he's done a bunch of weird things. Like he's cool things, like he's healed a paralyzed man. And if you look at the way these miracles happen, which I I think I preached on a bunch of years ago, um, there's things like there was a room full of people. So imagine this room, but even jam-packed more. There wasn't enough seats. There were people standing, people out the door. And then, remember the guys who cut through the hole in the roof and lowered the paralyzed man down? And Jesus heals that one man in front of everyone. He was so cool like that. One miracle, and that just spread. So he's done that. The crazy demon-possessed guy that's up in chains and is breaking them and, you know, old Bob up on the hill. Everyone would have known about him. Jesus heals him. And he's playing a bit fast and loose with the Sabbath, so we're not sure what to do about that. Um, And then, like... The religious leaders of the day are not sure what to do about him full stop. But there's something about him. And that's what drew people to the mountainside to leave whatever they were doing in the middle of the day because they'd heard these stories about Jesus. And just like that feeling you possibly had in the worship then, there's something about it. Even, and not everyone, I don't think everyone there agreed with him or believed in him already. But they were curious and they wanted to hear what it was about. And then as Ryan said last week, they were bitterly disappointed by what he said, basically. Because he basically then went on to tell them, yes, there one day will be this awesome kingdom of God and you'll be part of it and we'll be partying and we'll be ruling and it'll be awesome. But in the meantime, before that gets here, you need to be meek. 
You need to be poor in spirit. You need to mourn because then you'll be blessed. So they're like, what? <laughs> Who is this guy? What is he talking about? So they're just completely rattled by Jesus. And he kind of does that all the time, right? He often turns things on its head because they were ready for power. They were ready for someone to come along and overtake the Roman government and re-establish or establish for the first time, really, them into some position of prominence and power. They were hungry for that. They were waiting for that. And Jesus was like, yeah, guys, turns out it's completely the opposite of that. You don't need to worry about getting power and prominence here on earth now. Just remember who you are. And part of that is the whole poor in spirit. And Ryan explained that beautifully last week. That understanding of we are nothing without him. Absolutely nothing. We, if we are mourning, and we should be mourning because we're so conscious of our sin, and it's not to be down on ourselves and, you know, I'm just a terrible sinner and useless for anything. No, Jesus is like, just know your position and know what I've given you and just live out of that space. And that's what the Beatitudes are all about. And then he goes on to today's passage, which is salt and light. And he, again, kind of messes with them in this passage. So let's have a look. Turn with me to Matthew 5, 13 to 16. Someone just needs to give me a five-minute wrap-up because I've, I've got no concept of what time it was when I got up here or what time I'm finishing. Oh, beautiful. Thank you. Um, and I can't read that writing, so I'm just going to read my typed writing. But I like to have a proper Bible because that's what we do here at C3. <laughs> so he says to them, after he's been through the Beatitudes, finishing the Beatitudes with, blessed you if you're persecuted. Yay. And then he goes on to say this from verse 13. You, my friends, are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Interesting. Let's break it down. You are salt, he says to them. If you are living, as the Beatitudes indicate, then you are salt. Okay, weird. Let's unpack that. Now, let's remember we're putting ourselves in our first century mindset. We're the original hearers of this. What would that have immediately brought to our minds? Now, obviously, we love salt. Who loves salt? Who eats chips without salt? No one. That's just stupid. If you offered me chips and there was no salt on them or no option for salt, I would say no, and I love chips. How good are hot chips with salt? Chicken salt especially. Therein lies the problem. We have way too many seasonings, thanks to MasterChef. Salt is, you never just have a recipe that needs salt. You need like turmeric and basil, darling. And I'm going to have a prayer session afterwards over there for any of you that like coriander, because that is of the devil. Just over there afterwards. Anyway, it's a very polarizing herb, coriander. You either love it or you hate it. People don't go, oh, yeah, I don't mind it. No, no. Love it, hate it. Over there later. Um, anyway, my point is, we salt is, yes, it's an essential ingredient for us, but not like these first century hearers. That was something that was almost life to them. 
It was very hard to get because he kind of, from what I've read, you, it came from the Dead Sea or salt marshes and it sort of was on the edges and they'd have to get it and clear it and get it to the place where it was salt. But so it had value because it was super useful and it was super hard to get. And so have you heard the phrase, they're not worth their salt? Yeah. Well, that actually comes from this period of time because the Roman soldiers were paid in salt. That was actually a currency as well. And so if you didn't do a good job, you weren't paid your full quota, hence not worth their salt, yeah. right? So Jesus is saying to them, you are salt, you are valuable. There is a job for you to do. And the thing that they would have recognized straight away is we use salt to season, as we just talked about, and to preserve. And as we talked about with the chips, if you don't have the salt, it's not that the salt is the flavor you want, right? It's like the salt brings out the flavor. Like I made a vegetable soup, trying to be healthy and all that. Slow cooked, lasted a week, gets old after a while. And I didn't, and I couldn't, I didn't have the recipe written down. Mum had, you know, handwritten it and I was telling mum, yeah, you know what, vegetables and stock and water. And she's like, did you put salt and pepper? I'm like, nah, it'd be right. Because I don't eat lots of salt. But then I had it and it really needed, <laughs> needed salt. So by day two, I'm rabbiting around the kitchen cupboards at work and found some salt, put it in it. I'm like, oh, okay. And it wasn't like I wanted to taste salt, but it was like all of a sudden my bland vegetable soup became flavoursome. That is the, one of the main purposes of salt. Uh, this cool commentary I read called The Theology of Work puts it this way. They say, if you are a follower of Jesus living the Beatitudes, you matter. You have an important role to play because you are the salt of the earth. Salt preserves and Christians help preserve what is good in the culture. You are a seasoning agent. In a sense, you can bring the distinctive flavour of God's values to all of life. And the original hearers would have grasped this even so much more than us. But the truth is still the same for us. We are to be a seasoning, to be a flavour, to bring God's flavours out in the world, in the people around us. Colossians 4.8 says it this way. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. I love that idea of like seasoned with salt, that your conversation needs to have something in it that kind of piques people's interests, kind of gives them that flavour in their mouth that thinks, mm, that's interesting, that's tasty, I want more of that. You know, chips again, I feel like I'm coming around chips. I'm not that big a chip eater, but I do love them. But it's like when you think of salty, you need even not just hot chips. But, you know, again, on my health kick, I'm eating these corn chips from Harris Farm. They're like a million dollars. They're so expensive, right? No salt on them. They are almost cardboard. But when you add a bit of salt... It gives it that, and then you just want to keep the Doritos, right? So, that's what we need to be doing. I think of the story of Jesus and the woman at the well as a classic example of this. Remember when he goes in the middle of the day to the woman at the well, absolutely no reason he should be there talking to a woman in the middle of the day, whole other sermon. But the way he talks to her, seasoned with salt piques her interest and her curiosity enough to the point where she then goes into the town and says, come on and see this guy who told me everything about me. Could this be the Messiah? He didn't season his conversation with judgment. Even though he spoke truth, you've had five husbands and the man you're with at the moment is not your husband. 
But he said it in a way that wasn't, it wasn't seasoned with arrogance or judgment or superiority. He had this way of just the truth, the authenticity, the warmth, the welcome, to the point where she then goes into the town and brings everyone out with her. And then he gets this chance to share the gospel. Have you ever had that experience where either you yourself or you've had someone before you were a Christian, just the way they talked, there was something different about it. There was some, the, the way they spoke, the way they encouraged, the things they talked about, the things they didn't talk about, there was this seasoning with salt. And it piqued my interest and curiosity and I wanted more of that. I wanted to have more conversations about it. When I'm in a dark place, they're who I want to talk to. Not my other friend who just... And we sit in the black hole together. There's something different. Because you attach the Holy Spirit to your conversation. And that's where the power is. Side note, which I haven't really explored. I'm not sure of the biblical principles of this. But I just kept thinking about when there's too much salt. We went to a, a function at, for school. And um, you know how they do the old one-for-one. One and you're just hopeful that you get the dish that you really want. And I did get the dish. got the chocolate pudding. And that was a beautiful with fresh berries and amazing. And then there was the creme brulee, which I'm not much on a creme brulee. And then as people are eating the creme brulee, they're like... And someone's like, I think they um, put salt instead of caster sugar in this. <laughs> so then there's just creme brulees just sitting there half eaten and my plate's like clean. All the chocolate pudding plates are clean. Too much salt? Side note. Can we ever talk to people and like throw a bag of salt in their face? Kind of not what Jesus wants us to do. <laughs> Don't shout at people from a corner, people. Love them, speak to them, season with salt, not like way too much salt that it's not palatable. Just enough, so these pretzels are making me thirsty. Most of you are old enough to remember that. Um, moving on from Seinfeld. So, salt seasons, but it also preserved. And again, first century audience, they don't have electricity, guys, newsflash, they don't have fridges. They eat meat, they probably love meat. Fish but they needed salt to preserve, to postpone the decay. And that's also part of our job. We are here in the community. God did not save us and take us. We have a job to do. We're seasoning our conversation with salt to draw people to him. And we're also preserving the good God stuff in our culture. Last year at school, we learnt, um, we got trained in a program called Transformation by Design. And it's about how to kind of understand the worldview and the syllabuses and how to, how to kind of help the kids to see what worldviews that they're being exposed to and understand how we can weave God's story into that. It's a really great program. But one of the things that I've not forgotten and jumped out at me as he said it is the presenter referred to this thing called good creational essence. And what he was talking about was, you know when you hear that song, not a Christian song, but it just moves you and, or it just fires you up or you watch a movie and it's so beautifully shot or it just, it just describes the human experience so beautifully or you see a painting or you, you, know, you see a beautiful building and they're not, it's not a Christian building, it's not a church or a Christian painting or whatever, but it moves you. You know that feeling? That's the good creational essence. It's like he's saying there's, God is everywhere and the Bible tells us that. You know, even the rocks will shout out if we don't. God is in everything, in all things. We are his created beings. So by nature, whether we deliberately do it or not, we are reflecting him. And so there are things in our creation, things like fighting for justice, looking after our environment, valuing human lives, 
they're God things, but the world can get on board those as well. So part of our role as the salt is to preserve those things that we know are going to be markers to him. So we, we get involved in those conversations as well. We become passionate about those things as well. And hopefully we'll get a chance to then point people to why they really feel moved by that. Because that's how God created them to be. And that's part of his godly principle. But second part of this verse, what if we lose our saltiness? So Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. Full stop, sort of. It's, it's, that's a strong metaphor. You are the salt. If you live the way the Beatitudes say, you are salt. But, and we need to pay attention to the buts, we can lose our saltiness. And particularly with this issue of preserving, that, that's where the danger is because the commentaries talk about how they had to rub the salt in and it had to penetrate the meat to actually preserve it, not just kind of sit on top. And that's the potential danger, I guess, where we, we would get into the world to relate to the world, to be the salt to the world. But then Jesus says we've got to be careful because we might lose our saltiness. We might become bland. We might not be the seasoning we're meant to be. You know, like that black and gold salt that you got in the back of your cupboard you bought 15 years ago and then you clean it out and you're like, this is going in the bin. This is not going to season anything. If we become so the same as our unsafe family and friends... We're not salty. We're not doing anything that we're meant to be doing. And that's the danger, that we need to make sure that as we're in the world, we're not being contaminated by the world. And that's what that reference to being trampled underfoot is. If salt got contaminated, mixed with other chemicals or dirt or th things like that in the ancient world, they'd throw it out onto the road to kind of help harden the surface. So essentially, it's not salt anymore. It's useless. And that's the trampled underfoot reference that Jesus is making. He's saying, you're kind of null and void in a sense. Your witness is null and void unless you are different to the rest of the world. And if you live by the Beatitudes, we will be radically different. We won't be clawing our way to the top at work. We won't be gossiping about our friends to get more power in a relationship. We won't be promoting ourselves because we know the truth of who we are. We know we are desperate and broken sinners saved by a wonderful, gracious God. That is the place we live out of. Therefore, we will be salt and we won't look the same as everyone in the world. But if we forget that and we kind of just blend into the world, we become bland. But we can't use that as an excuse because that's not what Jesus modelled or said. If you remember, he said somewhere something really great. Um, no, here we are. John 17. He said, essentially, he's praying before he goes to the cross. And basically, the summation of his prayer, we often use this phrase, we say, let them be in the world, but not of the world. He doesn't specifically say, that's not a verse, by the way, I only just discovered that. Um, it's a summary of Jesus' prayer. Let them be in the world, but not of the world. And then he, remember the Great Commission, go into all the world, go into the world. And what are we doing? We're making disciples. But if we're in the world and we're not distinctive from the world, we ain't making no disciples because we do not stand out. So, your salt, be salty. Let's look at the next half of the verse. You are light. Again, a very distinctive 
impression and image that he gives them. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Popping ourselves into our first century audience again. Remember, no electricity and light really matters. It's either daylight or it's pitch black. Have you driven on country roads or been out to a farm where there is no light pollution? It's like a whole other world out there. Kirsty and I went to Orange a few, like a couple of months ago. It is dark in Orange at night time. Where we're out in the middle of nowhere trying to find the place we were staying, reading the map on our phones, and it is so dark. And all you want is light when it's that dark. It's almost pervasive. And so the light, this image of you are light, that would have stood out to them so much. And imagine them sitting in that picture that we saw before. They're in the middle of, you know, on a mountainside, looking across this huge vista they could see for miles and miles. And they would know there's a town over there. And they may not actually know it in the daytime, but in the nighttime, when the lights are on, they'd know it. So it's a, it's a really powerful image that he's saying, and he's kind of doubling down on this idea that you stand out, you have a job to do, you have value, because light comforts, it illuminates, it guides, and that's what he's saying you are. Again, when we live in the way the Beatitudes describe, we are going to shine, we are going to stand out, and that's what we want from people. And, and I actually know someone who was saved in that way by somebody who just lives so differently. They lived as salt and light. Has anyone else had that experience where they worked with someone or just, and they're like, what is it about you? Yeah, that draws people to Jesus because the way they respond to things, the way they look at the world is different. And it will stand out because our world is so dark. It is so dark and people are in such dark places at times. Do they come to you when they feel that way? Because there's something about you. Because they know when they come to you, you won't look at the situation the same. If they're dark in their marriage, do they come to you? Because your marriage looks different. They see you going through the same kinds of issues, but you do it differently. Do they come to you in the workplace because of the way you navigate work? It looks different. There's a light about it that they don't see in their darkness. And they want that. It draws them to you. That's who Jesus wants us to be. And to emphasise that point even more, he says something that's really probably quite ludicrous to that first century audience because he goes on to say, a town built on a hill cannot be hidden. And there was probably a few, <laughs> duh, chortles because of course a town on a hill can't be hidden. Think about those little towns dotted all over the countryside. At night time, you would see those little blocks of light from probably kilometres away. How could you possibly hide a city on a hill? That's the dumbest thing ever. But then he goes on to say something that's probably even more ludicrous. And he says, if you, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand that gives light to everyone in the house. Again, chortling, duh. Why on earth would you put, light a lamp and then hide it? Like, I'm sure that oil wasn't an inexhaustible resource to light their lamps. And it was very dark if you didn't have a lamp with oil in it. So why on earth would you go to the effort to fill your lamp with oil, light it up at night time, and then pop it under something that means you can't see it? And it does nothing it's intended to do. 
see how stupid that is and how illogical? And Jesus is like, that makes no sense. Neither does you understanding the Beatitudes I've just talked about and what the kingdom of heaven looks like and not standing out. It's like, it's not even like he's saying it's wrong. He's saying it just makes no sense. If we truly understand who we are in Jesus, it makes no sense that we would not let that shine out. That's what he's saying to us and the original audience, I think. James 2 goes on to echo that sentiment when he says, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, Go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by actions, is dead. He's not saying you've got to have actions to be saved, but he's saying it doesn't make sense that you wouldn't. If you've gotten to the point where you recognise your desperate need for Jesus, the only natural conclusion is you will act differently. You will have a faith and it will be worked out in action. That's the natural way things happen. It makes no sense to do it otherwise. So, Jesus says, let your light shine. He says that it's the only true response to the grace and love and blessing. We know who we were without him. We know who we are with him. So shine. Shine your light. And the cool thing about the definition of this word of shine in um, Strong's concordance it's a dictionary it says it's a primary verb just fyi um and it means to beam i.e radiate brilliancy isn't that awesome that's what that word shine means to radiate brilliancy i didn't even know brilliancy was a word turns out it is um i just think that's beautiful but don't worry, if you're freaking out, if you just had a moment there thinking, there is nothing about me that's brilliant, I can't radiate that. Let me allay your fears. You know, if you got up this morning and you're lucky to have wiped the cocoa pops off your face and got into this building, you think, I, I can't be shining, I'm not radiating anything, let alone brilliancy. Never fear, because John 8, 12 says, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So you don't have to shine your bright light. It's not your light you're shining. You have to shine, but the light you're shining is already in us. Oh, thank the Lord. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 6 in the Passion says this. It's the same word shine. For God who said, let brilliant light shine out of darkness is the one who has cascaded his light into us. What a beautiful image. The brilliant dawning light of the glorious knowledge of God as we gaze into the face of Jesus. That's the light you've got inside of you if you know and love him. That's the light that radiates brilliantly out of you the more you live in line with what he said to us in the Beatitudes. And I get this image of like, you know, an old lantern and the, the, the wick's on inside because we've made that commitment to Jesus, but it's a bit kind of dirty and dusty and tainted. And every time we get more in line with who he wants us to be, it's like we just clean that bit of the light off. And the more we get in line with who he wants it to be, the more that will radiate out of us. The cleaner our vessel is, in a sense, the more that light will shine out of us. And, almost done, why do we shine? What does Jesus say in verse 6? In the same way, let your light shine before others, 
that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. We shine for they. That's why we shine. That's why it matters. We have to get ourselves to the point where we recognise that we're here for a purpose. Remember, we're valuable. We are salt and we are light. God has a plan for us and it's for the they who don't yet know that he has a plan for them. This is really cool. Strong's defines the phrase, they may see, in this verse. Listen to this. To stare at, and by implication, to discern clearly, and by extension, to attend to. Let me say that again. So that phrase, that they may see, in this verse, means to stare at, to discern clearly, and then by extension, to attend to. So as you shine your light that they may see, they stare at it. There's something about that person that's different. It's light. I feel a lightness, like we felt before in our worship. We feel it in here, but we need to carry that out there. They stare at it, then they discern it clearly. They recognise what it is and then attend to it. I love that thought that by us shining brightly they will see something different and they'll want it and then hopefully the part we all want is they attend to it. They think, I want that. And that's what draws them to Jesus. That's why we shine. We shine for they. And we don't shine so that they see us, but as the verse said, so they will glorify your Father in heaven. Let me finish by reading the message version of this verse, which is just summarises it all so beautifully. Jesus says, let me tell you why you're here. You're here to be salt seasoning that brings out the God flavours of the earth. If you lose your saltiness, how will people taste godliness? You've lost your usefulness and will end up in the garbage. Here's another way to put it. You're here to be light, bringing out the God colours in the world. God God is not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this, as public as a city on a hill. If I make you light bearers, you don't think I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on a light stand. Now that I've put you there on a hilltop, on a light stand, shine. Keep open house. Be generous with your lives by opening up to others. You'll prompt people to open up with God, this generous Father in heaven. By opening up to others, you'll prompt people to open up with God, this generous Father in heaven. Father God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for what you've done for us. God, we're so keenly aware of who we were before you found us. The state that we were in. We were helpless. We were broken. God, but you found us and you rescued us. Just like that woman at the well. You gently and beautifully restored us. You taught us who we really are. And God, the challenge for us now is to live out of that place. Help us to remember our true standing in you. Because as we live out of that place, people will notice, people will see, and they will ask questions. God, in our deepest heart's desire is to bring people to you. Right now, we're thinking of family and friends and co-workers who are in desperate need of you. Father, I pray that even as we go into this week, 
you will prompt us in our conversations, in our actions. There'll be things that happen that we could respond to poorly and you'll encourage us, shine. Don't cover it up, shine. There'll be conversations we have where you'll remind us to season them with salt. Add that God flavour. And Father, we look forward to seeing the harvest that comes as we get in right relationship with you, as we walk in step with you, as we follow your guiding light, Father. We love you. We hope you enjoyed our podcast and it was a great encouragement to you. For more information about C3 Newcastle City, visit our website, www.c3nc.com.